38 years. I mean, it's been 38 years since I've even felt just normal. And what happened to make you feel this way? I was laying on my mat by the pool and, you know, hoping for my chance. Your chance? At what? You know, I mean, I'm just sitting there. We're all sitting there waiting. And sometimes the water starts to bubble in. I don't know, like people say that an angel does it. But the first person into the pool comes out healed. Were you the first one in? No, totally different, totally better. Jesus came by. He walked right up to me. He saw me laying there, and I mean, he had to know why all of us were sitting there all day. But he asked, do you want to be made well? Well, did you? Of course I wanted to be made well. I mean, that's why I was there. And he said, stand, take up your mat, and walk. this series, The Counselor, and what we found out is that a good counselor asks you lots of questions so that you can begin to identify what's going on in your life. And two weeks ago, we looked at when Jesus and the disciples were in a storm, and Jesus calms the storm immediately, and then he says to his disciples, why were you so afraid? Last week, we looked at uh, a couple of men who were blind, and they were crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Jesus walked the house and then um, they follow in and Jesus turns and looks at him he says do you believe I can do this and we found out that faith and belief actions must go together our our um, our faith is actually made complete by what we do not just what we say this weekend Easter weekend and we're going to look at when Jesus was resurrected from the dead he looks at his disciples and he said why did you doubt Talk about spiritual skeptic, spiritual doubting. Today's question, uh, Jesus asked a guy who had been um, ill for 38 years. He said, do you want to get well? Now, this is for anyone dealing with a long-term problem. I'm not talking about a short term. I'm not talking about, you know, 24 hours or 24 days. I'm talking about a problem that has gone on for years, sometimes decades. Could be a mental issue, could be chronic headaches. I don't know why this is cutting in and out. Uh, could be chronic headaches, could be depression, could be anxiety, panic attacks, could be overspending, overeating, overcommitting. It could be that you have an addiction that you can't break. You're smoking something you shouldn't smoke. Maybe you're smoking cigarettes or you're smoking pot or you're smoking crayon. I don't know what your issue is. The point is you've tried to get rid of it and you can't get rid of it on your own. It could even be an ongoing challenge like a relationship. It could be somebody in your family, a parent. It could be a marriage that, that's just not what you think it should be and you things and it's just not changing. Here's what I want you to believe because this is what I believe scripture is going to teach us today. Just a single moment, no matter what your problem is, a single moment in the presence of Jesus can change everything. All right, we're going to start in John chapter five, verse one. Now, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. We don't know which one. It's not even relevant to the story. Just he was always coming to holy days in Jerusalem. Inside the city near the sheep gate was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. So my first question when I read this is, who is the master designer of this community? Because I don't want a pool by the sheep gate. Now, let me show you what's going on here. Uh, Here, oh, come on. Oh, wow, that was not what I wanted to do. That's going to take like 30 seconds to come back up. We'll come back to that in a second, Travis. That's what happens when, the, when old guys get technology going. 
All right, so there's the sheep gate. Now, here's what I love about the Bible. This is what's incredible about the Bible. You don't get this from the Koran. You don't get this from uh, the Book of Mormon. You don't get this from the, the Watchtower organization. When the Bible says that something is going on, is that even turning on? Nope. When the Bible says that, that something happens, it happened. Now, this is crazy. This, this whole, um, this, this pool of Bethesda, for 18 centuries, nobody could find it. And so people would say, this is one of the stories in the Bible that proves the Bible is false. And then in the 1800s, they found it. It took them 100 years to figure out what it was. And then when they began excavating the place, it was exactly as John described it. And so archaeology always um, supports what the Bible says. Dude, it's just looking at me. Okay, we'll just, we'll get back to it in a minute. <laughs> now, the next verse, if you, this, is all, this is the reason you should bring your Bibles or go to the U version, because if you have U version, it's on there. Verse three, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Now, what were they doing there? Were, were they getting a tan? No, crowds of people who were ill. Hey, it's talking to me. It, now, now I think it'll take, it has to, the bulb has to cool down. It's a safety mechanism to keep preachers from blowing up expensive equipment um, in the middle of a sermon. Woo! Let's push the right button this time. Hey, there's a laser pointer. <laughs> I really did practice this. Okay, so here is the temple. Here's the pool of Bethesda. Now, the reason it was called the sheep gate, it's not called that today because they don't use it for the same thing. But back then they brought the sheep into the temple to be sacrificed. That's why it was called the sheep gate. Now, can you imagine the smell? How many of you want to go to a pool next to a sheep gate? Sheep stink anyway. They're not these little fluffy, nice things. Sheep stink. And then sheep do things that stink. And then, then it rains and stuff. And so I don't want to be there. So I don't know who the master planner was. But these people thought that the waters had medicinal powers. Now, they built this thing, and, and it said it had five porches. And so go to the next. This is in the Jerusalem, uh, in the museum, museum in Jerusalem, the Israel Museum. And when they, when they excavated it, they found out it was actually two pools you see a pool here and a pool here, but if you count the sides, one, two, three, four, and then this one across the middle, there were five porches, exactly as John said it. So when the Bible tells you something, archaeology is eventually going to figure it out. Now, when they discovered it, it took, like I said, it took them a hundred years to figure out, oh, this is the pool of Bethesda next to the sheep gate. Okay, you'll remember that part anyway. All right. Now, they weren't getting a tan. They thought that when the waters bubbled up, it had magical powers, not just, well, supernatural powers. They thought there was medicinal purposes because it was spring fed and they would all go and they would lay there. And then there was this tradition. Now the Bible does not say this is true. The Bible just reports what they were doing. They would, they would lay next to the pool. And then when the water bubbled up, there was this tradition that said an angel did it. Nowhere in scripture do you see an angel, uh, you know, a description of this, but this is what they thought when the water bubbled up, somebody would run and jump in. The first person to get in would be healed. That's, that's what they thought was, was happening. All right. Now verse five. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. How many years? 38 years. Y'all did pretty good first time. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been there. Now, I don't like this translation because Jesus didn't have to ask anybody how long he'd been there. The better translation is discerned. When Jesus saw him lying there, he discerned that this man had been there a long time. Jesus knew exactly how long he'd been there. He asked him, everybody help me. What did he ask him? Do you want to get well? Try it again. Do you want to get well? How long had he been there? And Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? 
Doesn't that seem like an insulting question? It's like asking a broke guy, do you want a hundred dollars? It's like, I like asking a hungry guy. Do you want to go to an all you can eat buffet? It's like my wife asking me, do you want to make out? I mean, that's a no brainer. Isn't it obvious? I always want to make out. Do you want to get well? It seems like the answer would be yes. That's not his answer. Did did you get that visualization? Me and Janie kissing you. That'll haunt you. Haunts my children. She's a great kisser. I just, I got to tell you. All right, all right. He didn't answer the question. Look what he says in verse seven. I can't, sir. Jesus said, do you want to get well? His answer wasn't a yes or no answer. It was, I can't. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping bag and he began walking or his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, that pesky Sabbath. Do you think Jesus didn't know it was the Sabbath? Jesus fully knew it was the Sabbath. And here's the interesting thing. Lots of people, probably hundreds, maybe a thousand people were hanging out there. Jesus on the Sabbath day goes and heals this one guy. And, and I want to talk to you about problems that persist. 38 years, this guy was sick. And a moment in the presence of Jesus, he's able to stand up and walk. And this is, this is what I want you to get because I believe what the scripture is going to teach us. There's at least three problems with problems that persist. There's three things with problems that persist. Number one, the longer a problem persists, the more discouraged you become. Can anybody testify that? You've had, a, you've had an issue going on a long time. You get discouraged. Now, some of you have had a problem for years. You've prayed about it. Nothing happened. You tried what you thought would help, but nothing happened. What happens when you go years and years and nothing happens? Discouragement happens. You tried to make on, work on your marriage. You prayed about it. You were nice. You went to church together. I'm sorry. You were nice. Some of you really had to work hard at that. Um, you were nice. You went to church together, and your marriage is still bad. Years later, you're convinced nothing's going to help. It's just always going to be this way. Some of you've had a a problem that you've prayed about, a a physical medical issue that you've prayed about. You've gone to this doctor, you've gone to this doctor, you've gone to this doctor. Nothing has ever changed, and you think that's all God has for you. You're just kind of reserved to the fact that I am never going to get well. Uh, When we first remodeled this building, we bought this in 2007, and then we moved in in May, uh, the first Sunday in May of 2008. And when we first started this building, um, there was just, oh my goodness, I should have put pictures up. It was, it was the skating rink and it stunk because there were about 20 different leaks in the roof. And so everywhere there was a uh, drop ceiling, it stunk in here. So we knocked all the drop ceiling out. I worked literally five months every day, sometimes 16, 18 hours a day because I thought we got to get in this place. We got to get in this place. We got to get in this place. And during that time, I'm always going up and down ladders and I'm standing on, on scaffolding. And one time I was in the back in the kids zone and, and that's the third classroom on the left. And we were rehanging new t- ceiling tiles. And so, uh, I'm not, I'm not the brightest guy, but I'll do anything. Okay. So I'm working and I'm hanging. Well, one of the, the little tracks wasn't right. So I had to climb up on the scaffolding, but the scaffolding wasn't high enough. So I climbed up, you know, you know, when you have two sections of scaffolding and you got a little pole sticking up. So I climb up on this pole and I'm on this pole like this and I'm, I'm getting up there. I'm almost to the ceiling and I grab it. And about that time, the scaffolding moves and I come flying down through all of these tiles that I've hung and I land on my side on the scaffolding. And there was a lady in the, in the nursery painting. And I, I can't even breathe. It knocked the wind out. And she goes, Doug, you okay? And I'm like, no. And she goes, Doug, are you okay? And I'm like, no. 
she comes in. I'm, I am. I'm laying there all limp on this thing. And she comes in. She goes, oh, my gosh, what do I do? I said, nothing. And she's this little lady. What's she going to do? Climb up? I mean, she could have pushed me off. Now, Jeff had been here. He would have. He'd have just pushed me off. Yeah. Dipstick. Don't be climbing up there. But, you know, I just, I was too lazy. Okay. What happened was in the middle of all of this working, I'm literally on ladders all day, every day, hanging sheetrock, putting up this insulation, putting up ceiling tiles, painting the building. Uh, somehow I hurt my foot. And, and I was wearing cheap tennis shoes. Anyway, long story. But I was wearing cheap tennis shoes this whole time, and my foot got to hurting bad. I mean, really bad, where I couldn't walk some days. And so um, Janie said, go to the doctor, and I'm too dumb to go to the doctor. So I just kept, it just kept going on. Well, finally, I go to my doctor friend after two years, my podiatrist friend, and he gives me these shots. And, and it's the funniest thing because the, the problem was on the bottom of the foot. It felt like someone stuck a, a hot knife in my foot in between my, my third and fourth toes. And, and so I, would, I, would, I couldn't put any weight on it. I'd walk around like that. And so he says, we got to give a shot from the top. We can't go from the bottom because the bottom's too sensitive. And he said, this is going to hurt. And his nurse comes in and she puts her hand, she puts her hand on my leg like this. So I don't kick the doctor in the face. I'm like, really? That's going to keep me from, anyway, it hurt. And so he put to the end. And then I think just because he's my friend, he starts moving it around. He goes, this is necessary. I'm like, no, it's not. Then he pulls the needle out and he starts massaging it. And I'm like, buddy, I wasn't going to kick you before, but I'm about to now. And, and what happened was the, the, the uh, nerve had grown about 10 times the size that it was supposed to be. So every time my, the, the joints in my, in my bones in my foot would move, it was inflaming that thing. Eventually I had to have surgery. He told me this. He said, he goes, you're going to come back and see me when the pain gets too great. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And I said, how long is that going to take? And he goes, I don't know. It just depends on your pain threshold. Well, very shortly after that, I said, dude, we got to do surgery. And, and so I, I know what it's like to have pain for a couple of years but I don't have any idea what it's like to have pain for 20 years or 30 years or 38 years. Some of you know that. And, and when, when, when you've prayed about something and you've, and you've tried everything you know to do, you get discouraged, right? That's the first thing that happens. Well, the longer a problem uh, persists, the second thing is the more excuses you make. I didn't want to go to the doctor because I was too cheap to pay for it. You start making excuses because ultimately it's, it's easier on you. It feels better for you if you can blame somebody else for your issues. <laughs> That's what this guy does. Jesus says, he says, Jesus, I have no one to help me get in the water. When I try to go in there, I can't walk. I, I, they all run by me. I'm here. I'm helpless. I can't do anything. And I got to thinking, okay, I've never been an invalid, but, but I'm thinking I can do something, right? So I could, I could maybe crawl. You know, maybe his legs didn't work. I could crawl or I could do the inchworm. I am not going to do the inchworm. I'm not even going to do the worm in front of you today, but get that visual for a second. But what I was thinking was, couldn't you eventually get to the corner? And, and I, I pulled my hamstring last night, so I can't go all the way down here. But couldn't I get in a ball and be right on the edge? And when it goes, I mean, that's what they were looking for, right? So it goes, and you just go, and you're in. And you're healed. Woo! That's my solution. Good. No. That hurt. I really did hurt my leg last night. My first and last softball game. <laughs> now, don't you think you could do something? But this guy was like, no, I can't get there. No one will help me. I can't do anything about this. Some of you are like, oh, I've done everything I can for my marriage. It's never going to get better. Some of you are like, I've gone to doctors. I've tried. 
Some of you say, I can't get a good job because I don't have a college degree. Some of you saying, well, I went to counseling once and it didn't help. I, I actually once went to church two weeks in a row and nothing happened. God didn't move in my life. You're like, I'm just never going to get better. So the longer a problem persists, the more discouraged you become, the more excuses you make. And number three, the more you compensate. <clears throat> Some of you right now are excellent compensators. There are things called, there are people that are highly functioning alcoholics. And, and it puts stress on their marriage. It, it messes up their children. But the outside world, you're a highly functioning alcoholic. And, and most people don't know. And even if they do know, they don't care because you're getting your job done. But it is, it is a serious addiction that you have and you're compensating for your life. Some of you exist in a very dead marriage and, and there's no intimacy. There's no connection. There's no vision where we're going together as a couple. There's no building into our children. There's no spiritual movement. It's more of a, a partnership it's a business relationship where you say, we're just going to stay together for the sake of the kids. We don't have anything. It's a dead marriage. And, and by the way, if you're, if you're in one of those, because we have a bunch of them, if you're in a marriage that's in crisis, a week from Wednesday, 630, I'm going to start a marriage class. It's going to run five weeks. And this is, this is not for those of you who think you have it together. It's for those of you who think you need help in your marriage. And I'm praying that God's going to do something miraculous because we've got a bunch of marriages on the brink. Some of you have learned to compensate for a pornography problem. You tell yourself, it's not a big deal as long as I don't get caught. But it's an issue that you need to deal with. You're compensating. Some of you are overspending and people look at your life and they're like, man, you got it going on. They don't realize that you're in debt up to your eyeballs. You have no idea how you're going to get out of debt. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You've gotten really good at maxing out a credit card and then getting another credit card and paying for this credit card with this credit card. And, and it's just spinning out of control. Here's, here's the deal with problems that persist. You cannot change until you recognize the problem. Cannot change until you recognize the problem. Number two, you cannot and you will not change anything that you're willing to tolerate. If you will tolerate something in your life, you're not going to do anything about it. Bottom line, Jesus asked this guy, do you want to be made well? Why would he ask that? See, I think it's because Jesus created us. There's nothing in existence that Jesus didn't create. The Bible says that. And I think that Jesus knew that you can't help someone who just, want, who just needs help. There's people that need help all over the place. Jesus knew you can only help people who want help. And so he asked, do you want to be made well? Now, sometimes people ask me, what is the greatest hindrance to faith? What is it that, that keeps people from believing in Jesus Christ? And some people say, well, doubt. Doubt is the big, biggest obstacle. Some people say fear. Some people say worry. And those are all great answers. But what if it's none of those? What if, what if the greatest obstacle to believing in Jesus Christ is the familiar? I'm familiar in my pain, in my mess. And it's familiar even though I hate it. And I'm scared of the unknown. This guy... Um, 38 years, unable to walk. He tried everything. He's got this whole resume of excuses and he doesn't like that he can't walk, but he's learned to manage around it. And, and so what he's doing is he's learned to accept what is instead of believe what could become. Some of you are there. You've accepted what is and rather believe that rather than believing what could come. Well, you don't understand. I'm an average student. I knew that in the second grade and I know it today. You have no idea. My family struggled financially. My parents struggled. I struggle. My kids will probably struggle. There's nothing we can do about it. You don't understand. I'm overweight. It's kind of this genetic deal that impacts us through our lives. You don't understand. I've tried to overcome this addiction. I just can't seem to do it. Remember this statement. Until your desire becomes bigger than your disability... You will not change. 
Too many people are accepting what is rather than believing what God can do in their future. Your desire has to be bigger than disability. Do you want to be made well? Because really a lot of you are compensating and making excuses. You're discouraged. I understand that. But you're living where you are. And I believe the Spirit of God today is asking, do you want to be well? Do you want to be out of debt? Because some of you, shopping is your drug of choice. You say you want it, but your actions don't say you want it. Do you want to be out of debt? Do you want to really overcome an addiction that's held you hostage for years? Because too many people are, they're in pain, they're uncomfortable, but they're uncomfortable in the known. And this known uncomfortable is better than the unknown uncomfortable. And out there in that unknown uncomfortable is, is where Jesus is waiting to meet you and change your life forever. See, Jesus knows you can't help someone who just needs help. You can only help someone who wants help. Jesus knows that you're not going to change what you're willing to tolerate. He knows that until your desire becomes bigger than your disability, you will not find healing. So Jesus asked the question, do you want to be well? And I want you to stop right now. And I want you to ask yourself, do I want to get well? It's got to be personal. I can't make the decision for you. Your spouse, your parents can't make the decision for you. People are watching you destroy your lives. And you have to come to a point where you say, do I want to get well? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to get well? Here's this guy. He says, I've got no one to help me. And Jesus looks at him and he says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So you need a power that's higher than anything you have. Jesus heals the guy supernaturally, and then I want you to notice three things. This isn't on your listening guy, but just three things. First of all, the sick guy didn't even ask to be healed. Second, he did nothing to earn it or deserve it. Absolutely no reason that Jesus should heal this guy. Third, the healing doesn't happen in the way that he thinks it's going to happen. How's he think it's going to happen in the water? It didn't happen that way. Jesus did for him what he didn't even ask him to do. And, and this is why you need to lean in to the presence of Jesus Christ. He needs to become the number one relationship in your life. You need to get to the point that when you wake up in the morning, your first thought is, this life is yours. The next breath I breathe is yours. Let me live this day so it glorifies and honors you. Because when you do that, God begins doing things for you that you don't even ask. He'll bring healing in your life in areas you didn't even know you were sick. He'll change your thought process and processes in ways you didn't even know were dysfunctional. He'll bring forgiveness and healing into your heart where you didn't even know you had it. When you get close to Jesus, he does things for you you don't even ask him to do. And I want you to realize that Jesus didn't heal this man because this man was good. Jesus healed the man because Jesus is good. That ought to give us a little hope. You can't earn it. Grace means getting something you do not deserve. You can't, you can't earn your way into grace. You can't give to the kingdom of God so that God is required to give back to you and so that you get grace. He, he gives blessing and grace untold because of who he is. He's a good God who sacrificed his son for you. The, key, the healing didn't come the, the way the man thought. He thought he was going to get in the water. The healing didn't come through the water. There's nothing in the water. I love Carrie Underwood. Turn on some lights. We're baptizing today. It's water. Love Carrie Underwood. I've watched the video. Great video. Bad theology. Because the encounter with Jesus is what changes you. She says, there's something in the water and I came out and I'm, I'm changed. No, you're changed before you get in the water. You get in the water because you're changed. Because you encounter Jesus Christ and you want everybody to know. You say, I'm not ashamed. In fact, I want everyone to know. That's why you get in the water. There's nothing in that water. 
If it washed away your sin, the grass would die because I empty it tomorrow. Our grass couldn't handle your sin. Right? There's nothing in that water. Sorry, Carrie. (laughs) Some of you have been searching for healing in a certain way, and I'm going to tell you that it's not coming in the way you think it's going to come. You think it may be in the water, but it may be the living water, Jesus Christ. It may be the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Jesus says to him, pick up your mat and walk. See, some of you, some of you, uh, some of you are in financial trouble and you, you keep buying lottery tickets. <laughs> Thus saith your pastor. It ain't coming through a lottery ticket. I actually have a friend and I hope he doesn't ever listen to this because he calls me every time like the lottery goes up to 300 million. Say an extra prayer. And I, I don't even say yes or no. I just sit there. Okay, bye, you know, because I don't believe God works that way. I've said for years that whatever church I was at is not the source of my income. God is. Then he tested me when we started this church because this church was not the source of my income when we started the church. The way your healing is going to come is not the way you expect it. Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat. And and what he was essentially saying is this. I don't want to hear your excuses. I want to see your faith. Jesus says, I don't want to hear what you can't do and what other people won't do for you. Jesus says, I'm going to do something for you. And then I want to see you do something only you can do. This guy for 38 years, you've not been able to do something. So I want you to have the courage to leave the familiar, which is the pool of Bethesda. I want you to stand up on legs that have not worked for 38 years. Can you imagine that? Have you ever seen anybody who's been in the hospital for a few months? What happens to their legs if they don't exercise? They atrophy. Can you imagine 38 years with no exercise? Stand up and walk. <laughs> okay. But, but I think at Jesus' word... I think muscles came back on, tendons. I think, it, I think he went, check those out. And he stood up and he walked. Someone's going to take a step of faith to overcome a problem that you gave up on finding a solution to years ago. I don't know what it looked like for you. Some of you may throw away cigarettes as you leave today. I don't know. You may confess to your small group some challenge that you need help. You may check yourself into rehab or you may call a counselor. Here's the thing I want you to realize. It's going to take a significant step for you to overcome whatever it is that's, that's been haunting you because you're all very bright people. You know if there was some little tweak that would have healed you years ago, you would have done it years ago. But a little tweak isn't what you need. You need the power of the Holy God to touch you. God's going to touch you and, and you're going to have to take some kind of step of faith. Now, some of you, some of you, you're going to be healed instantly, but some of you, you're going to start a process. We have people that go through celebrate recovery. Some people have been through it years and some people are just now after years of going through, just now stepping up and doing step 12, which is you give back. God doesn't heal you just for you. God heals you so that you can share your story and help someone else come to healing. Some of you are going to start a journey, and it may be a one-year journey. It may be a six-year journey. I don't know, but you've got to get on the journey if you want to be healed. And the longer you've been sick, the longer this thing has been plaguing you, the greater the glory that's going to come to God because you're going to say to somebody, God changed me. I walked into a church, didn't think there was any hope. God met me that day, and God has changed me, and I believe he can change you. When God changes lives... It's contagious and people come flocking. We don't have enough people being healed. So do you really want to get well? Do you want to overcome addiction? 
Do you want to overcome fear and worry and anxiety that keep you up at night? Do you really want to be free from an angry spirit that causes you to, to just destroy every relationship that you've ever had? Do you want to overcome the inability to trust people so that you can have intimacy? Do you really believe that God can heal you? Because he's asking you today, do you want to get well? Would you bow your heads? Father, I pray that your power and your love and your spirit and your presence would minister faith, hope, and healing to your church called New Life Community Church today. Now, some of you, God has been speaking directly to you. You felt like God was speaking to you today. And, and you have an ongoing problem and you want to take it before God and you just kind of want, to, want, to pray, want me to pray for that right now. Would you raise your hands? Just keep them up for just a second. There's several. There's a problem that's been going on. And maybe nobody even knows the problem. God, I know that you're going to work and I, and I know that you don't want to hear our excuses. You want to see our faith. Father, I pray that everybody who raised their hand would take an appropriate step of faith today as you lead them. And I pray that in your presence, they would find healing. They would find release. God, and I know you may heal. You're probably going to heal in a way we don't expect. We don't even care how you do it. Just do it, Lord, in our midst so that others will hear that our God is alive. He still heals people in 2015. And we'll give you all the glory because you're worthy of praise. We pray this in your name. Amen. We have uh, three baskets in the back. One is our joy basket. Now, in case you didn't understand what I was talking about last week, if, if people, if we had a hundred people who gave $300 a month for one year, 12 months, that's an average. I don't mean everybody does that. If you give just to the joy basket, we'll have over enough to pay for our parking lot out here. We'll get the, we'll get the cover drop off. We'll, we'll, uh, concrete from the, the house in front of the house all the way to the front over here. We'll get all of that done in one year's time. If we just have a hundred people average $300 a month or 50 people average 600, I don't care how you do it. Just keep doing all of the math. That's what I was talking about. So if people just give like God has blessed them, we'll have a parking lot in a year's time. So you can give to the basket back there. You can give online. What? I really don't know what happened. That was 1990. I know so many secrets about you, Travis, actually. Oh, I know so many secrets. I don't want to hurt your wife, but I'm going to get you. <laughs> what was that one? I didn't even see it. Show, at least show me. What was it? Oh, well, you can show that. You can leave that one up there. That's what friends do. That was John at my game camera being a deer. If only I had been in the deer stand when he did that. All right, now stop. Okay, three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket, or you can give online. Second is, uh, make sure he's not throwing something up there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the announcements like this. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, you better talk to Jesus. Second is our registration card basket. I'm really trying to get y'all out of here because my wife is going to come and beat me up if I don't get y'all out of here on time because they love your children. 
but they love them till 1201. And uh, then it's time for lunch and a nap. Uh, and and if, you, uh, if you fill out your registration card, if there's something that's been going on, if you're one of those people that raised your hand and said, you know, I've got an ongoing problem, you want me to pray for that, then write that on there. Um, the third basket is our bagel basket. We actually do have a few thousand dollars that people keep contributing to that, and everything that goes in there is going towards the parking lot is our next uh, project. So anyway, now go ahead and turn the lights up. We're going to baptize. And uh, praise God, I noticed... One of my thermostats is messed up. Those of you who were baptized a couple of weeks ago, um, it was 106 degrees. I think I burned somebody's face off in the name of Christ. Um, I, don't, y'all, I don't know if y'all heard it, but when I put them under, they're like, ow! And so I tried real fast, you know, but this is, this is 90. It's good. So y'all come on up here. This is Aaron and Tasha. Everybody say hi, Aaron and Tasha. All right. That's all right. Come on up here. Tasha, you're going to go first. Yep. I just leave you under if it hurts my hamstring. This is really cool. Um, Aaron and Tosh, I've known them for years. Actually known Aaron way back when I was youth minister and, and knew him through that. And then um, I got to perform their marriage ceremony um, here at the church. Uh, they've had a lot of ups and downs. But I can say for the first time since I've known them, I see God working in both of them at the same time. They're on the same track. They're going the same direction. And, and standing in my, my yard yesterday, we we're just talking about baptism and um, talked to Tasha and, and Tasha had been baptized before, but, but it was never a, a full understanding of what that meant. And it was because she was wanting to please somebody else or something like that. And so this is, although she's been baptized before, th- she fully understands what she's doing. This baptism doesn't save you, nothing in the water. But it's an act of obedience after you have become a follower of Jesus Christ. You're, you're proclaiming to everybody that you've, uh, you're a follower. And one of my favorite verses is, is Romans 6, 4. It says, therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into his death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Going under the water, you're identifying with Jesus being laid in the tomb. Coming out of the water, you're, being, you're identifying with Jesus is alive and you're one of his kids. Tasha, have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Because you have. Aaron and I are now going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Give me a hand and him a hand. Bend your knees. Come on up here, Danny. Big man. It's big enough. You see Barney? Yeah, man. No, it's not a Barney moment. We're going to get close, but we shouldn't go over. Aaron, love you. I'm proud of you. Have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Because you have. I, I rebaptized. You've been baptized before, but this is like a new beginning for you and Tasha. Now, baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Bend your knees. We're going to go down slow. Look at that. Slowly. All right. Um, we're going to baptize next Sunday. If anybody wants to be baptized on Easter Sunday, <laughs> what, what better day? Oh, sorry, Amy, I didn't see you. <laughs> That's not baptism. 
We don't sprinkle here. <laughs> um, we're going to pray and we're going to be dismissed. Um, they do have, if you're parked way over there, they do have the, the gate in front of the, some of you don't even know there's a blue house. There's a regular house here. There's a blue house down there in the, on the other land. So you can go out that direction. We're just practicing for next week. And if you don't want to go that direction, I don't care. Um, let's pray together and ask God to continue to bless new life and, and surrounding areas. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you that you're not done. This is just the beginning. I look forward to what you're going to do next week. We're excited about two services, never done that before. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we believe you're going to bring people here who've never heard about Jesus before, and somebody's going to step into the kingdom of God next week. Thank you for those who are going to be baptized. Thank you for those who don't even know yet they're going to be baptized next week, and we pray that you do some amazing healing in the people here, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.